The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. So we are constantly encountering problems at home, in our places of work, in our careers, in society at large. Even if we had all the time and money in the world, sometimes just no good solution can be found. What do we do in those moments, especially when we can't wait? The answer are these things we call workarounds. Now, for ages, global corporations have been sharing ideas or teaching small organizations and nonprofits how to get things done, how to figure things out, how to be more efficient. But as it turns out, maybe, especially in this moment where it seems like there's no easy or good answer, it should have been the other way around. Small, scrappy businesses, startups, and even individuals have loads to teach us about moving through adversity and thinking creatively. So in today's Spark Hot Take episode, we're welcoming expert guide Paolo Savaget to share his perspective on what he calls the four workarounds, which is also the name of his new book, and how some of the most valuable lessons about problem solving can be learned from the scrappiest groups. Paolo is associate professor at University of Oxford's Department of Engineering Science and Said Business School. He holds a PhD from the University of Cambridge as a Gates Scholar and has a background working as a researcher, consultant, and entrepreneur, really finding innovative solutions for a more inclusive world. And Paolo shares his unlikely discovery in this field of inquiry and how he now defines a workaround simply as creative, flexible solutions to an otherwise very complex problem. He draws most of his examples from small organizations dedicated to social action that have made an art form out of subverting the status quo and really prove themselves adept at achieving massive wins with minimal resources. And through his research, Paolo identified these four workarounds that these groups commonly employ, something he calls the piggyback, the loophole, the roundabout, and the next best. Really fascinating examples come out in conversation from his life travels as he demonstrates how each one works and how to know which one to use and when. And we dive into these four workarounds today and how you might harness them, both in the context of your work and also your own individual career journey. As always, we hope you enjoyed this Spart Hot Take where we dig deeper into the concept of workarounds and how they can support you in a personal and professional life. And be sure to follow Spart wherever you're listening so you never miss an episode. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Spart. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. 
I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so, we had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. So super excited to dive in with you today. I am more or less a lifelong entrepreneur with a kind of strange, aberrant career in the law about 20-something years ago. And it was about the only time that I've ever worked for someone else um, or a couple of someone else's. And I have learned over a period of decades building my own businesses and companies and also sometimes working in really large ecosystems. Like when I was a lawyer, I started out at the SEC, a, a giant federal agency. And the level of bureaucracy there for somebody who's wired as an entrepreneur was kind of, it didn't jive well with the way that I like to roll. But having been in all these different scenarios from the biggest of the big to literally like a bootstrapped entrepreneurship scenario, I have become fascinated by how we actually are able to do things when we hit a wall. There's no obvious or conventional way forward but you still you know you still believe that there is a that there is a way and how do we, like what happens in those moments so it's fascinated to learn that you've literally devoted um a lot of time and energy and research into really understanding what happens you know in situations large and small when we really you know we want to keep moving forward but we hit a wall there's no easier conventional solution but yet we still believe there's a way and it's this idea of what you call workaround. So I'm curious, before we get into what these things actually are, because I want to tease them out with you, I'm curious about your fascination, because it, it almost seems like this became a bit of a quest for you. <laughs> it did be. <laughs> Thank you, Jonathan, for having me here. And um, it, it was a, a quest for me, but it wasn't a quest that I that I had from the very outset I would say that it was very influenced by my background as well. I, I have worked as an entrepreneur and as a consultant. I worked in many different places, ranging from the Brazilian Amazon, working uh, to evaluate, for example, a project with traditional populations and with the OECD in a project connecting with the World Bank. So completely different uh, contexts. And I got increasingly frustrated with how my recommendations as a consultant were get, getting a bit similar, regardless of whether I was communicating about a project with a traditional population or with a large company like Dow Chemicals. Uh, my recommendations involve things like more coordination, more alignment, things that are not necessarily wrong, uh, but they are generic. And I was interested in how we could approach problems in different ways. Uh, and I had already worked a lot with this idea of systems change. And then I decided to start this research with a systems perspective, but thinking of how we can make change in different ways in complex systems. And I got gradually more curious about how computer hackers hack into these complex systems because computer systems can be insanely hmm. complex, right? And, and they make change so resourcefully and, and in ways that we, we cannot really predict from the outset what they're going to do. And by studying computer hackers, my idea at the time was, can we make organizations hackier? Can we find ways of 
addressing pressing sustainability problems like problems in education, in healthcare, and so on and so forth in ways that are similar to how hackers address their own problems in computer systems. And as I studied hackers, I realized that a lot of organizations, including some organizations that I had worked with in the past, were very hacky, uh, but they didn't necessarily use that name. And that at the core of this hacking approach is workarounds. So I, I kind of like bumped into workarounds. I didn't start from the outset thinking that I wanted to study workarounds. But once I got into this journey, I found out the value of workarounds and how how much potential and unexplored potential workarounds have. And that is something that I have to thank these very scrappy organizations that I studied, these hackers, these intrepid entrepreneurs and, and uh, scrappy organizations operating at, at fringes of power. Uh, that's from whom I, I, I've learned this. Yeah, I, I love them. Sort of the sometimes subversive elements, you know, in, in dressed in suits or, or not. When, so w when you use the word workaround, maybe let's define that actually. Like when we're talking about workarounds, what are we actually talking about? Workarounds, I, I define as this imperfection loving problem solving method that is creative, it's flexible, and it defies the conventions of who should be tackling these problems or how these problems should be tackled. Uh, and I, uh, let me give you an example of a workaround that might illustrate that a little bit. Uh, there's this organization that I uh, worked with in Zambia. I collected a lot of data from them. They address this very urgent problem that is the lack of access to diarrhea treatment in remote regions. So if you go to a remote region in Zambia, you wouldn't find uh, life-saving medicines, uh, including medicines that are cheap, that are over-the-counter, that require no refrigeration, and that even people living in extreme poverty could potentially afford. And the way that the most organizations would try to address this problem is to tackle the obstacles, right? Like, uh, what are the obstacles preventing medicine to reach these places? So you're going to map out that system and try to understand what are the, the these durable and tough obstacles. And that includes very poor infrastructure, logistics, funding, things that are, of course, very important to tackle, but might take many, many years to be solved. So what this organization did that was very ingenious was they, they realized that you don't find medicines in remote regions, but you find Coca-Cola everywhere. So can we be back on Coca-Cola's distribution channel to make these medicines available in remote regions, bypassing these obstacles that are so difficult to tackle. And by doing that, they had amazing results. So uh, the, the essence of the workaround is not only who should be tackling the problem. In that case, was a very small, scrappy organization tackling such a, a big problem. Uh, but also uh, how the problems are supposed to be addressed. And they involve this creative, flexible way that instead of tackling or confronting the obstacles on your way, you work around them. You find alternatives that are more viable, more resourceful, and, and that can create more immediate outcomes. Mm, yeah, I love that. It's a great example. And you know, the notion of workarounds also, I think it's, I, I love the idea because we can talk about it on any scale. We can talk about it as one person trying to figure out what their next move in their career is going to be or how they're going to navigate a particular team or boss within an organization or limitations and resources when you're charged with, you know, trying to do something really big. And then you can talk about it at scale like you did, like, or, you know, a scrappy organization leveraging a massive distribution chain um, to be able to do something on a societal level. You also found 
that as you as you got deeper into you know like hackers, change makers, um, deviants. I like to use the word deviants. We're not talking about like you know like not necessarily criminal, but, but people that just deviate from the norm. You also identify you know some interesting patterns and recurring themes in the people and the organizations that I thought was interesting because there's almost like a a revolutionary energy that that seems to always like surround the people who go deep into figuring out these big workarounds. Exactly, I, I identified some patterns in people, like the the mindsets, the art, the attitudes that they have when trying to understand the situation and trying to address these problems in unconventional ways. Uh, but I also explored these different ways of working around. As the, the book title suggests, I identified that there are four core approaches to work around that leverage different kinds of means and, and resources to tackling complex problems. And as you uh, indicated, this is, even though I most of my learning came from these scrappy organizations, it doesn't mean that we can't use these uh, approaches in our daily lives. We constantly do. And perhaps you do that without necessarily realizing that you that you use or not intentionally. Uh, and my intent with this book was to not only value uh, and review this knowledge that I learned from scrappy organizations that implement workarounds so well, but also to show how each of us can use workarounds effectively in our daily lives in your professional setting or at home or, or for whichever goals you have. There will be many opportunities for workarounds if you know how to pursue them. Yeah, I think if you just open your eyes on any given day, by the time you close them to go to bed, you will have had multiple opportunities if you're really paying attention. So through your research, you identified, you, you, you started to look at, at patterns and you start to realize that there are these four similar types of patterns or four different types of workarounds that kept recurring over and over and over, almost independent of examples and size and what the actual problem was. Let's walk through those four different workarounds a bit. The, the Might as well jump in with the piggyback because the, what you just shared as an example of a sort of a generic workaround I think also was an example of th this particular workaround. So tell me about what the piggyback workaround is. <laughs> Thank you for, for asking. The, the, the piggyback, roughly speaking, leverages different relationships and pairings that are unconventional. Uh, so the case that I mentioned earlier on uh, piggyback on Coca-Cola's distribution chain, they literally thought of feeding medicines between bottles in a crate. And then they gradually evolved this intervention to understand why the fast-moving consumer goods sector was so successful in making medicines available everywhere and how they could piggyback on that entire value chain. So not only the space between bottles, but actually understanding and tapping into a system that already existed. But it was a system that was typically used by fast-moving consumer goods. What I find fascinating about cases like this is that we normally think that we have to address a healthcare problem with the frames or the methods from healthcare. Right, but there's the, the so much potential in all the silos if you just know where to find them and how to look for them. You don't necessarily have to tackle healthcare problem by necessarily investing that much in in using some conventional methods in healthcare. You can piggyback on what works well in fast-moving consumer goods and have amazing results. Uh, and in, in that case, I, I show different kinds of relationships or how, different ways of 
uh, crossing these different silos that might be beneficial for you. And, and, what, uh, and I use the analogy from biology, the symbiotic relationships that can be mutualistic, so everyone in, wins in, in, in this uh, piggyback, or it might be commensalistic. So that means one gets or benefits from, from this workaround, the other one doesn't. And parasitics, that one actually gets harmed. The, the one who's not pursuing the workaround might get harmed. Uh, and that is, a, a, I, I believe, a powerful way of looking and thinking of these many different relationships that are unexplored and that we could leverage to get things done without necessarily having to recreate or bump into the same obstacles we constantly bump into. Yeah, I, I love that. I mean, it, it's really about looking around and saying, what other systems or processes or people, relationships, resources already exist out there that are that have solved the problem, but not with our particular thing or product or offer or need? And can we piggyback, using your words, on what they've already built in a way where we don't actually have to either follow the conventional path, which might take years and years and years and never happen, or build something entirely from the ground up ourselves, which if you're an individual or a scrappy young like organization, you probably don't have the resources for. So um, I love that it's it's uh, the creativity in that is sort of like looking and saying what already exists that we can tap into. And I think oftentimes we really don't go to that place. So this, you know, in sort of like, I'm, I'm always curious, when do you use these different things? It seems like this particular workaround is, would be when there is that existing system or set of relationships that would be available for you to tap into. Exactly. And it could be used to develop new businesses. For example, I, I described some examples of creating new businesses or improving uh, different programs uh, and, and the many ways of thinking or using piggybacks. But the essence, if you boil down, is trying to find unconventional pairings, a ways of getting things done without having to tackle the obstacles. You work around them by leveraging and thinking across silos. Love that. And I also love this because one of the questions that I tend to get fairly often from folks who are thinking about starting something on their own, like a new business, a startup, an idea is, and they're bootstrapped. They don't have easy access to VC and they're, but they really, they see a problem and they want to solve it. So this is a really interesting thing for them to like, to plant this, the seed and say, you might not actually have to start something that is nearly a big or newer comp. Like you don't necessarily need to own the pipes, but just figure out how to leverage them differently. And that might be enough. Exactly. And, and one of the cases that I cover in this chapter uh, on piggybacking uh, is a parasitic one. And it was implemented by Airbnb when Airbnb was still a very small organization, still a very scrappy organization scrambling from the margins. They realized that the user base for people who wanted the same value that Airbnb was offering. In other words, people who wanted lodging but didn't necessarily want to stay in hotels or people who wanted to offer lodging and make some money uh, was on Craigslist. So Craigslist was the rival. 
it was an organization that many of you know, but the idea was that people could just offer whichever product services they wanted via Craigslist, including lodging. And a lot of people use Craigslist, but the user experience wasn't that great. Whereas uh, Airbnb had just started and it had a better user experience. It was focused on this service of offering, connecting lodgers with people who wanted lodging, but they were not known. People didn't know about Airbnb. They didn't search for Airbnb. They went to Craigslist. And how can you get enough users so you can leverage and build your organization and grow exponentially, right? Like that's one of the questions we have very often in marketing, for example. And the the, the way that Airbnb did very smartly was that they uh, every time someone posted a listing on Airbnb, they would cross-post that on Craigslist. And they would email the person who posted the listing saying, if we cross-post on Craigslist, it's going to increase your visibility and it's free. And, and people thought, great, right? Like I have nothing to lose. It's actually going to increase the chances that I'm going to, uh, that I, my listing is going to be seen. Then they posted on Craigslist. But let's say that someone else saw that listing on Craigslist without knowing about the existence of Airbnb. Once they saw that listing, they realized that the listing was much more professional because in the beginning, Airbnb even offered professional photos for the listings. And of course, the website was also very well designed and offering a better user experience. So once that person saw a listing from Airbnb on Craigslist and they clicked on it, it would redirect them to Airbnb's website. And for the next times they wanted to find lodging, they would go straight to Airbnb instead of go uh, to, to Craigslist. In other words, Airbnb poached users from Craigslist but, and, and Craigslist didn't realize at first what was happening because they actually saw based on the common indicators that Airbnb was doing them a favor. They were cross-posting, so they increased the listings on Craigslist, but they increased the listings thinking that they could show how much better they were in a way that they could poach users from uh, from Craigslist. And, and that leveraged the organization. The user base grew a lot without them necessarily having to drop a dime on uh, advertising. Yeah, it's it's so interesting. You may agree or disagree with that strategy, but you know, the, the inventiveness of being really young and scrappy and trying to build something from nothing. It's about sort of like looking at what already exists that we can leverage. Talk to me about the roundabout workaround. Um, I thought this was interesting. And, it, and each one of these, are, there's some similarities, but also really some differences as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, the piggyback focuses on relationships, roughly speaking, right? The, the different features of each workaround as well. And roughly speaking, the roundabout is about self-reinforcing behaviors. Uh, I, I mentioned that I, I study systems and systems change. And in systems theory and, and literature that has been developed over many, many years, we talk a lot about this phenomenon called feedback loops, positive feedback loops. These are self-reinforcing behaviors. The more something happens, the more other thing happens, and it creates this sort of vicious cycle, what we in colo- colloquially refer to as vicious or virtual cycle. It's something that uh, is uh, self-reinforcing. Uh, this kind of workaround tries to disturb, disrupt 
somehow these self-reinforcing behaviors. And uh, there are many ways of doing that, but the, the essence is that they create a, a, a moment in which you buy time or uh, to, uh, until a decision has to be made or something else happens, or it allows you to explore something while uh, it, it's still not, uh, that solution is still not right. So let me give you an example uh, about the, the, the roundabout workaround. When uh, I went to India and I was walking in Delhi, so I'm going to give you a very trivial example, but there are many examples ranging from COVID to tackling or, or, or trying to prevent uh, COVID infections to people inventing some of our most beloved products. But I want to give you a very trivial one uh, because I, I really value these scrappy organizations and individuals, right? When I was walking in India, I saw that some walls were very dirty because men urinated there constantly. And the more people urinated, the more people thought that it was normal to urinate on that wall. And it normalized that behavior. So it was a self-reinforcing behavior. But some other walls were not really dirty. What did they have? And, and they were not far from those dirty walls, right? So what happened there? I got very curious. And then asking locals, they showed that these clean walls or cleaner walls, had tiles of Hindu gods because people wouldn't dare to urinate in front of a god, right? Like or on a god, <laughs> uh, regardless of their religion, if they do that in a country where the majority of the population is Hindu, uh, it would be blasphemy, heresy. So that is disturbed this self-reinforcing behavior in some of these walls. And this tactic has actually been used very widely in India uh, related to cleanliness, for example, in, in kitchens, uh, to remind people to wash their hands before cooking. This is a, a very clever way of disturbing a self-reinforcing behavior, right? And perhaps even redirecting that behavior in a way that instead of the dirtier the places, the dirty tends to get because it gets normalized, it might eventually be something like the cleaner the places, the cleaner it tends to get, right? Because it also becomes more normalized, more widely seen and accepted as the right behavior for that specific context. Yeah, I, I love that. It's a, so much of it is about pattern interrupts, effectively. You know, once something has become this self-reinforcing feedback mechanism, um, how do we break the pattern? How do we, how do we put something in there that breaks the cycle? And again, rather than you know, signs all over the place or re-education about why this is bad for the community and this stuff, you know, which would have taken a lot of effort, a lot of more resources, probably been a lot less effective. Just this super creative idea saying like, oh, there's this other association. And if we actually somehow put a an image that reminds people of that, it would completely change the pattern. So creative. And, and, uh, and a lot of, again, like this is so much of this is about really thinking differently you know, like stepping back and saying, if if I am not bound by convention, what might be available to me? And, and also, Jonathan, you, as you mentioned, like it, the, some of the conventional solutions might involve awareness, education, uh, offering uh, public uh, toilet facilities, right? This might take many, many years uh, to be solved. And if your wall is getting drenched with urine, <laughs> you can act here and now with the resources you have available, right? Like, I think that's one of the, the, the interesting things about workarounds is that it's so resourceful. It can create immediate outcomes and 
it can actually be very transformative as well. It's not simply a patch, right? It can be a patch, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. Sometimes it completely changes the status quo as well. Yeah, I love that. One of the other four workarounds is something you call the loophole, which I think is interesting. We've probably all heard the word loophole. Yeah, I want to ask you to explain it a little bit, but also... When a lot of us hear that word, a lot of us also think about, hmm, is this actually, even if I see this opportunity, is it okay? So take me a little bit into what the, the loophole uh, workaround is, and then also the, the conversation around morality or ethics around it. The loophole workaround is about reinterpreting roles and especially leveraging the ambiguity of some roles or using a different set of rules that is applicable, but it's not the most conventional. Let's use an example that everyone knows and that I don't particularly agree with. People evading taxes, right? Like they want to use the tax laws, legislations, rules from other countries instead of the ones where they reside. And they sometimes find legal ways, not of tax evasion, but some maneuverings uh, to pay less ta taxes by doing that. Right, so that's a way one <laughs> one of the the loopholes that I don't necessarily agree with, uh, and of course I recognize that some people might or some people may consider that that's not necessarily a big deal. But again, your morality—it's up to you to think and reflect on your own morality and how this case impacts you and and how does that resonate with your ethics right so it's like it's it's technically legal like you figured out a loophole in the existing framework or rules or law so so like in theory it's legal it's you're you're following the rules but you're also kind of doing it in a way which is really advantaging you and p potentially disadvantaging some others or some other entity or being um, which is where the morality comes in Exactly. Uh, but in, in many cases, and I show that in, in so many cases that I consider to be for social justice. Yeah. Uh, and of course, that also depends on the morality of the person who's reading or the person who's listening to this case. Uh, one of the cases that I studied a lot was uh, the, the case called uh, from this organization called Women on Waves. And it's twin organization called Women on Web. Uh, so Women on Waves was the, the, the first one that was created. Uh, and they... It's a, a group of feminist women pro-choice, okay? So they think that women should be allowed to get abortion service on demand. If they want an abortion service, they should be provided one because it's their right. So that's the ethics, right, that they have and some people may agree or disagree with. Uh, what they found, the loophole that they explored at first that is ingenious, is that they go to places where abortion is illegal. And by the way, most countries in the world, the legislations do not allow for abortions on demand. So uh, let's say that they go to Poland, one of these countries, and then women want to have uh, an abortion. They go on board of a Dutch ship that they sail from the Netherlands with this Dutch ship. And then women who want to get an abortion go on board. They sail to international waters, which is not that far from the coastline. So it's pretty doable. And then uh, on board of this Dutch ship, they provide abortion services uh, to people who wouldn't get access otherwise in a legal and safe way because they have medical doctors and people who understand how to provide a safe abortion service with uh, abortive pills. And they do that legally because in international waters, the legislation that applies is the one of the flag of the boat, 
right? So it's the legislation from the Netherlands. As the Netherlands allow for abortions, regardless of the nationality of the woman who's getting an abortion, she is entitled to having the abortion service on Dutch soil, <laughs> in international waters, uh, on board a, a Dutch ship. That's just one of the loopholes. They, ex they, they found many, many, many other loopholes that range from using drones uh, to exploit the lack of, uh, uh, of legislations related to aerospatial delivery and so on. But they also, for example, uh, send abortive pills with the prescription of the uh, medical doctors from the Netherlands But these pills are off-label. So let's say that they send pills that are abortive, but they are actually created or were originally created for ulcers, right? So they can uh, send these uh, pills via mail to women who, who will take in the countries where they reside. So there the are many loopholes that they, they've identified. And of course, here, again, It depends on people's morality. This is uh, a case that I particularly agree with, and I'm happy that they are doing that. I think it's women's rights. But if you talk to a lot of other people, depending on their backgrounds, religion, and so on and so forth, they may disagree with me, right? So the, the, the loophole is normally the most controversial workaround of all because it's directly defying, uh, deviating from rules, And they normally do that by reinterpreting the rule or choosing a different set of rules that is equally applicable to that specific context. Mm, yeah. I mean, it's, it is interesting because the, the other ones, like I, I don't get a sense that there is a lot of morality questioning around them. But this one, yeah, I could see how in almost every use you probably have because somebody is trying to sort of intentionally subvert a set of rules or laws or constraints that are there. And some people are going to see that as fantastic and others are going to see that as like, that is not okay. Which brings us to the fourth uh, workaround, the next best workaround, which is, I kind of took as like, this is a lot about repurposing to a certain extent. So, so take me into this a bit. Exactly. It's about repurposing resources and resources could be tangible, intangible, right? They don't necessarily have to be physical assets, But it could be. I, I use many cases to show how you can work around by repurposing resources, like repurposing mobile phones to notice the sounds of chainsaws in, in, in forests and connecting them to, um, to efforts that will actually prevent deforestation on time before the, the, the forest is actually destroyed. Also, for example, drones being used for, for delivery of, of blood, for blood transfusions. Uh, to health facilities that are very poorly connected with the central facilities. But also more intangible cases when you see resources in different ways and repurpose in different ways. Let me give uh, an example that is from a person who is familiar to most in the United States, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Before she became a justice, she was a lawyer, very interested in defending the rights of women. Right. And, and, and super concerned about sex based discrimination. Every time she took a case of a woman who had been discriminated for her sex, she would normally go to court and see judges that were men and wouldn't necessarily empathize with the case because they also very often interpreted that women were getting the best of two worlds, right? That they were 
these fragile beings that were just being taken care of. And uh, RBG was clearly frustrated with that and, and, and finding it very challenging to disrupt this oppressive system against women. One of the turning points was this brilliant workaround that she pursued with uh, an association and with her husband, Marty, they identified the case of a man who had been discriminated for his sex. Some of you may have uh, seen uh, uh, the the, docus the documentary or, or legal drama on Netflix and the many other uh, documentaries or TV shows, uh, interviews uh, with RBG, in which she describes this case as a sort of turning point because it's much easier to convince a court of men uh, that a man had been discriminated for his sex than the opposite, right? And, but that created a precedent. And this case was uh, particularly interesting. The, this man had been discriminated because he cared for his elderly mother. And if he were a woman, he would be entitled for a pension benefit. And But because he was a man, the law didn't even conceive that a man would be caring for a mother, uh, a single man caring for a mother. And then, as he had been discriminated, they filed and went to, to, to court uh, asking for, for this benefit. And the court that was composed only by men uh, <laughs> realized that he had, in, in fact, been discriminated because he was a man. But that created a precedent that was used many times later to defend women as well, which was her ultimate goal, right? That was the, the interior <laughs> motivation she had was sex-based discrimination affecting women because women were by far the most affected by, by laws that discriminated against sex. So by working around and repurposing and thinking creatively about how to win a case that could create a precedent to topple down uh, a system based on sex-based discrimination, uh, she uh, ended up creating one of the most important precedents that was subsequently used extensively along with another case that she also was involved. Yeah, I, I love that. And effectively, what we're talking about here is literally creating a precedent for the purpose of repurposing it to the original population that she really wanted it to apply to. But she knew it would just be a lot easier to create that precedent in one context and then kind of repurpose it in the context that was really most meaningful to her. Exactly. The, the, the name next best reflects that a little bit, right? Like the, when you think that you, that you were struggling to defend women, perhaps you can still somehow address the same goal by defending men. That was one of the very clever uh, and ingenious ways of, of addressing that problem and creating a precedent, right? Like, uh, and, and the next best applies, as I said, to many technologies. Uh, once, for example, I when I was studying Cambridge, I went to, to this different department that had this very fancy coffee machine. And I realized that someone, uh, this person that I was interviewing, was using that coffee machine to boil an egg. Uh, and I thought that that was fascinating. That was so hacky, right? Like, we don't normally think of a coffee machine as a possible machine to boil an egg because we think of its entire function, everything it offers, right? Like, and it, like the, the, all the parts together. Uh, but in order to brew coffee, you have to boil water. So why couldn't you just use that part of the functionality of the machine that is boiling water to boil an egg? 
and and the next best has that ingenuity of thinking of the parts and thinking of the holes and seeing the different ways or different purposes, functions you can identify from each resource that is available to them. Yeah, I love that. Although I'm a little alarmed at what, like, what everyone's coffee might have tasted like after they <laughs> used the machine to boil an egg. So um, that's that's pretty funny, though. I love that example. So th- those are the four workarounds, and, and I love them. And as we started out in our conversation sharing, it's like, you know, like, you can look at these as things for scrappy organizations, for people who are just have an idea and they're trying, they don't have a lot of resources. They're trying to figure out like, how do I actually make this thing happen? Because all the conventional ways seem to be just unavailable to me. You can think about them as scale. And and as you described, you can think about them all day in our de- just daily lives, whether it's career decisions that we're making, whether it's, you know, like individual problems that we're facing um, within our work or just in our lives and our relationships, the notion of exploring workarounds, like if there's no obvious solution, well, here are four different things to think about. It gives you a different frame to say, okay, so I may not have to just give up or accept that it's going to be a long, hard slog, or I might just never be able to actually figure this out. Like these are four approaches that let me say, well, let me try these different things because maybe there's something that I just don't even see and nobody else sees that would make it a lot faster and easier and actually doable. Exactly, Jonathan. And, and, and besides boiling down this and through many cases showing some of the core features of these four workarounds, the second part of the book shows how you can develop this mindset, this attitude. And actually, one of the chapters is a sort of playbook of how you can come up with uh, workaround ideas for your own problems. Uh, and one of the, the other chapters is about the workaround in the workplace, because as you mentioned earlier today, sometimes we can feel very constrained in our professional environments. And how can we get things done with orders or despite orders in our workplace in ways uh, that are creative, that are ingenious, and that will bypass these obstacles that we might be repeatedly uh, bumping our heads against? Yeah, I love that. And I love that you also, you did include, you said, let's let's explore mindset and attitude and building blocks and let's explore the, how do we do this in organizations and then also outside of work, you know, like how does this show up in our personal lives? Definitely invite everyone to check out um, this book. We have sort of scratched the surface of these ideas, but um, you can go much deeper into it and some fantastic examples and all the other mindset wisdom that will come with it. Paolo, thanks so much for being our guest today. It's great to have you. Thank you very much, Jonathan. This was a pleasure. Hey, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation, learned a little something about your own quest to come alive in work and life, and maybe feel a little bit less alone along this journey to find and do what sparks you. And if you'd love to share your own moment and question with us, we would love to hear from you. Just go ahead and click on the submissions link in the show notes to get the details on how to do that. And remember, if you're at a moment of exploration, looking to find and do or even create work that makes you come more fully alive, that brings more meaning and purpose and joy into your life, take the time to discover your own personal Sparkotype for free at Sparkotype.com. It'll open your eyes to a deeper understanding of yourself and open the door to possibility like never before. And hey, if you're finding value in these conversations, please just take an extra second right now to follow and rate Sparked in your favorite podcast app. This is so helpful in helping others find the show and growing our community so that we can all come alive and work in life together. Until next time, 
I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Sparked.